Over the course of the last few weeks, Pastor Albert has been taking us through the theme of the repentance of God. Today, we're going to be talking, or he is going to be sharing a message about from law to love. The Bible readings he's been using have come from Mark. This one is written in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. And what I love about it is that Jesus brings God's perspective into things. He's got the big picture in mind. Jesus was always focusing on the why, whereas people like the Pharisees sometimes get bogged down in the detail of the what, what does it look like. Have a look and listen to God's perspective here. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We're going to listen and see a message from Pastor Albert now. Grace to you and peace, Good Shepherd, from God our Father and from the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. How many Lutherans does it take to screw in a light bulb? I'm sure you're sick of my question. Uh, if you've been here the last few weeks. But we'll take it a step further. Okay, how many Lutherans does it take? Hold out your hand in front of you and poke out the number of fingers that you think represent the number of Lutherans that it takes to screw in a light bulb. There you go. Now, take your hand and compare it to the really lovely Lutheran sitting right next to you now and compare who's right, who's wrong, how many fingers. Okay, you can put your fingers away. I think the old joke is none. And I'm pretty sure you will have heard it before, so everybody's got no fingers. Uh, Lutherans don't change. That's the joke. I don't know about that, though. Good Shepherd, uh, you are a beacon of light up there in Paravista and I suppose all around the ALC, or sorry, the LCA, um, for being a place of change. For a long time. Uh, what's your secret? Well, there's, your, there's the question. 
The last few weeks I've been offering thoughts with you on change and I'm not really wanting to make it a comment at all on our ability to change. We know it's hard. Whether it's normal, regular, everyday human change, something that happens during the day or something that's bigger than that, a bigger picture change, Either of those are hard, and then of course there's spiritual change, which in many ways is the hardest of all. We know change is hard. A poll came out in the 90s uh, that stated that change was the third most feared thing amongst human beings all around the world. I don't know how they did their poll, but I do remember it because change did come in three behind, can you believe this, death and public speaking, and I don't doubt the public speaking one because I turned up to Good Shepherd a couple of weeks ago to do some public speaking, and you guys have freaked me out, haven't come back, you see? Number one, most feared thing. But here's the thing, right? I'm not even wanting to make a comment on spiritual change per se. Because while such change is a big thing for Christians as a whole, Lutherans at least know how much we participate in the whole spiritual change thing that we get to just acknowledge how bad we are at it. In fact, we can't do it at all. This was Luther's big thing, I think. You know, shifting the, the emphasis from what we can do, even if it's a little bit, to just acknowledging we can't do any of it. A few years ago, I was reading a short devotion on the lost sheep, which I talked a little bit about last week, but this was by an American Lutheran pastor who really emphasized how much the little lamb in the parable of the lost sheep was involved in being brought back to the fold. You know the story, it's a simple one, hundred sheep, one goes missing, he's out there doing his thing, but here's the thing, right, found, picked up, put on shoulders, turned around, and returned to the fold. And he wasn't involved. It was all done by the shepherd. I love this emphasis on the human passivity involved in our spiritual repentance. In the devotion, I distinctly remember how the author said that God through the story of the lost sheep, 
It shows how God repents us. He repented the sheep. Never even heard that term before. He repented the sheep. It's like it's done for us. And this Advent, again, as we prepare for Christmas, we can celebrate that free gift again, that we are turned back to God by the shepherd, by God himself. This is the kind of change I get excited about because it doesn't depend on my helplessness, but God's faithfulness to me, his unconditional servitude to me. What a gift. This is God's story. This is why I wish to remind all of us how this God in whom we stake our lives has first staked his life in the story of change. From guilt to grace, from lost to life, and from law to love. And in a moment, you'll see and you'll read about some elephants in the room with Jesus right throughout the chapter, uh, Mark chapter 2. Today it's about us having to stick to God's rules. That's the elephant in the room. And how Jesus stares down this elephant in a way that no other religion or human philosophy or spirituality has been able to. Welcome to the repentance of God. How many fingers do you see? If you were to place your fingers in front of your face right now, how many fingers would you see? You see the problem? Do you see the solution? If I were to ask you to stare through your fingers and find the cross, how many fingers would you see? We spend a lot of our lives using our fingers. Of course we have the opposable thumb which kind of adds to why fingers are so handy. And I've only just said that and thought, wow, there's a nice pun. But anyway, we have a hand full of fingers and the thumb and we do great things with them. And sometimes we do really destructive things. Um, if you drive a car, you've probably copped a finger or two from time to time, or you've given them. Good shepherd, don't admit to it. Or maybe you do. I was um, travelling to school not that long ago. I live in Mount Torrens. It takes me about, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes to come into school here at Cornerstone. And on this one particular morning, I was travelling to pick up a colleague on the way and I was running late, and you know where this story is going, and I'm belting along, and by the way, I'm not preaching anything about 
how it's okay to do more than what the speed limit says. However, on this one particular occasion, I was um, going a little bit too fast near a town called Woodside and I came around a corner and there a man in the middle of the road with a finger pointing at me, pointing to the side of the road and uh, I pulled over and I wound down my window and he came over and I was in trouble and I had done the wrong thing and I can't remember if he used any more fingers after that and there wasn't a lot that I could say um, the law is good and traveling faster than the law allows you is not good and for whatever reason um, I needed to be reminded of that that morning and in that moment I'm thinking this little reminder is going to probably cost me about 300 bucks and I don't know what it was and this is not the point of my story I don't think but when I should have been in big trouble through the conversation I was having with the gentleman who had pulled me over perhaps he recognised me as maybe the pastor at Cornerstone. We have a lot of kids come from that part of the hills to our school. But um, he just reminded me that it would be a good idea to slow down. No fine. There you go. There's my story. You know, it has always blown my mind how the scriptures are filled with how it is a good thing not to do this, and it is even a better thing to do this, and how it is a bad thing to do this, and how it is a worse thing to do that. You know, the scriptures are filled with law. And even if it doesn't read or sound like law, there's law in there. And even when we are reading it and feel like we are, you know, living up to the standards God has set for us, um, somewhere in all of it, we find ourselves with the weighing little finger reminding us that we just aren't quite cutting it in every part of our spiritual lives, our relational lives, our vocational lives. We're human beings. We're driven by a desire to do the right thing. We believe in a God who has given us the right thing to do. And yet we just can't do it, as Paul says in the book of Romans. But it does amaze me that as Jesus enters into the second chapter of Mark, and he kind of keeps running into these elephants, that the elephant that says that we are always having to live up to and keep to God's rules, 
is one that he addresses sharply, distinctly, without apology. Now, when the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers all say to him, don't you know that it's not right to do such things on the Sabbath, Jesus challenges them. And Jesus flips everything on its head. I mean, the Sabbath day. It's in the Ten Commandments. And it would have been central to everything the Pharisees and the Jews of Jesus' day would have been about. That was God's day. That was the day of rest. That was clear, black and white, cut and dried law that was good for everybody, except when it wasn't. And there in that moment, Jesus goes head to head. Can you imagine the pressure on him? Can you imagine the moment? Can you imagine the wagging of the finger? We are born into a world filled with law. And it is all good except when it's not. But we are reborn into a faith and a spirituality that begins and ends with Jesus taking on a new attitude with the law. And that it is not black and white. And that it is not cut and dried. And when we make it that way, we simply find another way to wag the finger. But in Mark chapter 2, Jesus becomes the repentance of God. And he changes the world yet again. And it isn't that Jesus is throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but he gently is reminding us by not so gently telling the Pharisees that the law is not what we were fully made for, but rather for grace and for that which allows us to find a new way to build relationships and to allow uh, the love of God and his unconditional acceptance of us. Jesus in Mark chapter 2 is helping us to appreciate how easy it is to turn the law into everything it cannot be. It is too easy for us to say that it was just the Pharisees of Jesus' day 
that had distorted the law. Surely Jesus didn't come into the world just to deal with first century Pharisees. Jesus came into the world to deal with each and every time that the human race, that's us, has turned the law into that which forever defines us. It is true that Jesus was not coming to abolish the law because the law is good, but it is also true that Jesus was coming not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, and here's where things get a little crazy, Jesus carries the weight of the law. He carries the guilt of the law. He is the one who straps on the shame of the law and the judgment of the law to the very cross that you may have seen when you were blurring your eyes through your fingers. If thousands of years of God's story had left one big fat finger constantly wagging away in the consciences of God's people, and if thousands of years of God's story had led to the prejudices and the judgments and the ill will of those who were disseminating this story among the people, and if thousands of years of God's story was having people constantly wagging their fingers at one another, Jesus had a new idea. Wag it at him. He'll take the fall. You can blame him. You can charge him. It's okay. Look through your fingers. See the cross. Martin Luther said, The law says this, and it's never done. The gospel says this, and it's already done. How many light bulbs, sorry, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? The repentance of God. Amen.